morning. Welcome to Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Ryan. We've been in a series studying the purpose of the church. And today's message looks at our calling as servants of God, those who have been redeemed by His Son and who now have the privilege to live no longer for ourselves, but rather to live for God. Thanks for listening. time of year when uh, parent-teacher associations begin. Any parents ready for that? Well, where I used to serve, we had the same time of year. Uh, We would get together with all the PTA would come together, but the first meeting was always the most challenging because that meeting is where you had to choose officers to represent the PTA. So you had a president of the PTA and a vice president, a secretary, a treasurer, and a chaplain. And it doesn't sound like that would be too difficult, but see, here was the problem, that anyone who got elected to one of these positions invariably ended up being the only ones that served for the entire school, for the whole student body. Whereas parent-teacher associations is made up of all of the parents, and you just have a few that really are the ones that are to, to lead on it, but that's not how it went. It turned out every year that as soon as we would have a need or have an event, guess who would be the ones that would have to show up? Well... They were the ones that were elected to. And I think that was because all the parents sat back and kind of thought, all right, we got someone to take care of it now, which means I'm what? I'm off the hook. I'm afraid that somehow this has crept into the church as well. For years, for centuries, uh, the church has made a sometimes intentional, sometimes unintentional distinction between what they would call clergy and laity. As if the clergy of the church are the ones who really need to, you know, get going, be sold out, working for the Lord. In fact, sometimes that's even the language uh, that we, we hear, that they're, um, uh, I'm married to Jesus, right? I'm, uh, I'm the one, the, the clergy, the, the priest, the pastor is the one that's really committed. Even though the rest of us are Christians, you know, we're kind of off the hook, so to speak. I'm convicted this morning by hearing those uh, stories read from Exodus in Mark's Gospel. Uh, Moses, who really had all the opportunity in the world, all the blessing in the world, Lord comes to him and shows him clearly that he's going to be there. He's going to provide. He will do the hard, heavy lifting before Pharaoh. Moses, all you've got to do is be committed to me, to serve. I've called you. And what does Moses say? Oh, Lord, find somebody else. Just take me off the hook. It's too hard. And Moses is really looking at himself as where his trouble lies. But then the story from Mark, the Gerasian demoniac, the guy that has a legion, right? Just demons just tearing this guy apart, meets Jesus and Jesus frees him. Has Jesus freed you? Have you met the Savior from Nazareth? Does the Holy Spirit control you? Because that's what happened. This guy had an exchange so that the Holy Spirit would be the one now that comes. And the text says that next time the people saw him, he was sitting dressed in his right mind. And he is so committed that even when Jesus is going to move, guess what he wants to do? He wants to move with Jesus. Jesus is getting on the boat. I'm getting on the boat. Jesus is going across the sea. I'm going across the sea. Where Jesus is, that's where I want to be. Fully committed. Can't try any harder to put himself on the hook. Married to Jesus. right? Committed to Jesus. And Jesus does what to him? Says, no, you need to stay here. And guess what you need to do? Stay committed to me, but now you're going to go into the uh, Decapolis. That's the ten cities. 
I needed to tell people what happened. And the text says that everybody was amazed. Uh, th- this guy that had his life changed becomes the first missionary, really, to go out to serve God. I can think of the way in which sometimes we come to church and think that that's adequate. But I'm afraid that we have still instinctually made a distinction between you know, normal churchgoers and, and clergy. We're fully devoted, right? Everybody here fully devoted? But unfortunately, we end up remaining somewhat as spectators within church. Look at y'all, sit in the same, you're all sitting in the same direction. Look at yeah. what, what we do on Sunday morning is just an opportunity to devote ourselves corporately to worship. That's all we're doing. But the church is active Monday, Tuesday, when? Throughout the week. We're still needed. You get to get in the game. You get to participate. Makes me think that sometimes we're just... Just dating Jesus, really. We're not really committed yet. You know, we're, we're just sort of together with him, but we're going to see how things pan out. That's, that's what I fear it looks like. Uh, when I was uh, younger, I was always afraid of commitment. Any amens from the guys here? Anybody? No. Right. I, I had a hard time getting through maybe that three-month hurdle in the relationship because now I'm really going to have to commit. And uh, Emily, my wife now, she, she saw this pattern in my life. And when... Because... Um, uh, uh, well, ask me another time. I'll spare you the details. But <laughs> she, uh, she recognized this and said, I'm not going to let you break up with me. Now, that was good for me, right? I'm not going to let you. And uh, that's what I needed because it, it pulled me through. Because commitment is where we need to be. Not just in our relationships, but as a church. That's where we need to be. We need to be committed to God. Committed to the extent that we will go where He goes. We will do what He does. We're in the game. We're not just spectators where it doesn't cost us anything. We're not just standing back watching the show. This morning we're going to examine the subject of the church as minister. We'll find that minister has a, a real root meaning that we need to redefine. It's not, minister is not the people that come up here and stand and preach. It's not the preacher. That's not the minister. Minister is a word that means servant. That's, that's all it means. And we will see today that God has called the entire church to be ministers. We're going to be in our text in 2 Corinthians again. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. Uh, we're, we're, we've expanded our verses a little bit to begin in verse 14 of chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as we go through, we're going, to, we're going to read it. I'll start with a bit of a review where we've been the last couple of weeks. And then we'll see what Paul has to say about serving God with our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14. Does anyone have a page number? 1799. 1799. Paul writes, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God, 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I hope that even as we have returned to these passages over the last four weeks, that you can begin to see in review some of the terrain to which we've been over. This study, and it's this week, and then next week will be our, our concluding study. And the, the purpose of the church, answering the question, you know, what's our goal here? What's our job here? God has left us, right? He didn't save us and take us instantly to heaven. There's a purpose for which we are on the earth. But what is that? We started out first by looking four weeks ago at the church as messenger. Do you remember what is your message? The message of... It's repeated twice in here. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Whoa. Remember what that word meant? We used the illustration of the bridge. Remember the Mackinac Bridge? We really need to be over here with God. There's got to be a way to get us to there, right? That bridge is the bridge of reconciliation through the blood of Christ. We are the messengers, and we have been given that message. It is a message of reconciliation. The following week, we saw that we are members of... Right? The church is members of how many bodies? One body. And our, our review from our children's message this morning is uh, apt to show us the purpose therein. Right? To be a new creation in verse 17 means that you belong to a new body. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. And each one of us is part of it. I mean, everybody has a role to play, as Shelley showed us. Right, The hand, the ear, the eye. Two weeks ago, we looked at the church as missionary. This word from verse 20, ambassadors. It showed us that there is a necessary uh, protocol by which we become missionaries for the church. Right? It was three things. Rightly, relationally, revealing God. That's the work of an ambassador. And that's your task as well. It's not enough for you to just, I'm going to pray for my neighbor. You go talk to your neighbor. It's not enough for you just to just to hope that God helps. God put you here to do what? To help. Rightly. That means with correct teaching, correct theology. Relationally. That means we leave our comfort zones and we go. And we reveal God. For that is what the Holy Spirit in us allows us to do before the world. And last Sunday we looked at the second part of that. The church as missionary. Such that we would go beyond our comfort zone. That we would see even the extended world. Such that God was wanting to save not just the Jerusalem part. Remember how the disciples were confused on this? From last week they asked Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They thought it was still about them. And Jesus says, no, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. But guess what? In Judea and Samaria as well. And they were good with it up until that part. You start mentioning Samaria and yeah, I'm not so sure about that. And then Jesus says, the last step is the ends of the earth. We are missionaries called to rightly relationally reveal God to the whole world. And that brings us to today. Verse 15 is where we're going to land. And, and what we're going to see is that we are called to also be ministers. It is not the case in church. 
And wasn't from the beginning that there are only a few set aside to really serve God and be sold out to God and be committed to God and the rest are not. That is a task given to each of us to be sold out and committed to God. Look at me in verse 15. Let's see what he says. He starts off by referencing what he mentioned in verse 14. All died, right? So in verse 15 he says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. It's hard to get around such a tiny little verse. I want to unpack it a little bit just so we can understand it. And then we're going to dive in a little bit more as to what he means by uh, those who live should live for him. We're going to look at that a little bit closer. He mentions this idea that Jesus died for all. And just a point of good Presbyterian uh, doctrine. Let's make sure we understand what that means. Uh, the doctrine here is called particular redemption. Which means that the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross really and actually saved people. It really and actually redeemed people. But not all people. For if it, if it had, well then everybody's saved. And that, that is a heresy in the church called universalism. Instead we understand that according to what the Bible teaches, there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And you are given time here on earth and not beyond this to repent of our sins and turn to God. And because of this, He has saved all within a scope of salvation. Does that make sense? The scope of salvation is extended to the whole world. In fact, it would be extended to infinite worlds if there were more worlds. That's how strong the blood of Christ is. But the problem is not all have received it. It's sufficient for all. The blood of Christ doesn't lose any of its power. He died for, what's the Bible say? All. He died for all. But there are only those who particularly fall into redemption. And those are the ones called now to live for him. This is what it says. Those who live. It doesn't say all who live. It says those who live. One commentator put it this way. He says, Paul is not suggesting that irrespective of their response and attitude, all men know forgiveness of sins. Or that all men experience selfless living. There is a universalism within the scope of redemption. Since no man is excluded from God's offer of salvation, but there is a particularity in the application of redemption. Since not all men appropriate the benefits afforded by this universally offered salvation. This doctrine, this charismatic statement, it's true whether you believe it or not, ought to cause us humility. Question, are you redeemed this morning? Do you know Jesus Christ this morning? That's a privilege that not everyone on earth shares. And there's a calling, there's a response to that privilege. It's mentioned in a few places in Scripture. It shows up in Galatians 2.20. You know what Paul says? I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Christ now lives in me. It shows up in Romans chapter 12. It says, in view of God's mercy, right? What, what He has done for us. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Don't, don't die for Him. He wants you to what for Him? Live for Him. 
The exchange in view of the redemption that God has saved all is such that we, who are the redeemed, will no longer live for ourselves. But we will now live for Him. I'd like us to look at another passage where we can see this a little bit clearer. Turn in your Bible over to the book of Philippians chapter 1. And three conclusions I want you to see here just as we walk through this text and then we'll, we'll conclude our message this morning. Where Paul is uh, offering this thank you letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, they're concerned because Paul is in jail right now. But Paul wants them to know that there is a calling which we, he has received such that even in suffering, even in pain, even in trial... Paul is going to choose to live for Christ. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. Does someone have a page number for us? Eighteen twenty-five. Thank you, choir. Eighteen twenty-five. We're gonna we're gonna start in verse nineteen. Eighteen twenty-six. Good. Paul writes to the church. He says, "Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know." That through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Excuse me. Convinced of this, I know I will remain. And I will continue with you all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Paul's in jail. Did you hear, the, did you hear his testimony? He says, I eagerly expect and I know that God will give me the courage such that he will be exalted in my body for, for me to live is, is what? Is Christ? If you're if you're into underlining or circling that one, that's a good verse right there. For me to live is Christ. Can you say that? I was actually asking rhetorically. <laughs> Let's say it all together. For me to live is Christ. Now, can you say it with your life? We can say it with our lips. That's a serious thing to say. Is there any part of our lives that's still reserved? Well, I love God, but you know what? You know, I'm, we'll see how it goes. I'm just going to hold on to this little part right here. You know, this is my perspective on things. This is how I think it should go. And oh, don't get me wrong, I love Jesus. And we need to check ourselves and really ask the question if we're fully committed. Are we just dating Jesus or are we put the ring on the finger now? To what extent are we willing to, like the, the man healed of the demons... I'll go wherever he goes. That dude didn't even know where Jesus was going. He just got it. Jesus is going in the boat. I'm going. It doesn't matter where. Paul says, for me to live. Not for me to go to church. Not for me to do the community meal. Not for me to teach Sunday school. For me to 
live. I'm preaching to myself this morning, church, because this is challenging. Every aspect of your life, from head to toes, if you've been redeemed, right? For he died for all. Therefore, those who now live should no longer live for themselves. I've got to ask the question, do I live for myself? Uh, what about my time? What about my money? What about my energy that I spend on Ryan? Or can I say this with my heart and not just my lips, that for me to live is Christ? Three, three things I want to pick out from this passage I want to share with you. Number one, it takes courage. This is tough. Don't doubt for a second that what I'm proposing to you from the Word of God is just, oh yeah, no problem. Preacher said live for Christ. That's what we're going to do this week. Live for Christ. Hold on a minute. You've got to be sure you understand what this is talking about. It is difficult. Paul got thrown into jail. What about Stephen in the book of Acts? Do you remember Stephen? What happened when he chose to live for Christ? To stand up before the Sanhedrin and testify as to who Jesus Christ was. What did it cost him? It cost him his whole life. How about Peter? Continually standing before the crowds. Early on in the book of Acts, finding himself persecuted by his very own people. What about us? Yeah, it takes courage. Look at verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient, what? Sufficient courage. So that now as always, that's beautiful, right? Now when it's hard, just as always when it's easy, Christ will be exalted in my body. Whether by life, oh yeah, no problem, or by death. That's tough. Have you seen the movie Lord of the Rings? Anybody? Long time ago, Lord of the Rings. There, there's a moment in that movie, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, where they're, they got to take this little trinket, this ring, and dispose of it. And they need a band of brothers to go into the army and uh, the enemy and fight. And one stands up, Aragorn, he says, If by my life or by my death I can help you, I can serve you, you have it. I remember watching that being like, Wow, that's, that's the response of the Christian before God. If by my life or by my death, I have sufficient courage now when it's hard, when I'm in jail, as always, even when it was easy. So the first thing you've got to understand, if you're going to make this true in your life, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, you've got to know it takes courage. It's not easy. It takes solidarity. It takes the Holy Spirit's empowering. It takes the commitment of somebody who's not just pretending to date Jesus, be with Jesus, but really committed to Jesus. All right, number two is this. Uh, ministering here, right? To be a minister, to be this kind of commitment, it is necessary. That's the second word. Necessary. Look at verse 24. Though Paul would rather depart the body and be home with the Lord, the joy of eternal life, something that we don't have to fear death any longer, Paul says that's great. I'd really love to do that. Maybe some of us here today are saying, Brother Ryan, whoo. I'm ready to go myself. Paul says it's more important. It's more necessary that I remain. He says in verse 24, It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. The reason why is because there are still those who have yet to hear the gospel. There are still those who need instruction. There are still those here right now. Maybe in our midst this morning, but certainly outside of these four walls who need to come to repentance to turn their entire life over to God. And guess what? That's not going to happen unless we as the church act as messengers, members of one body, missionaries, and now ministers. So living for Christ 
not only takes courage, it's necessary. This is the task for which God has given you the Holy Spirit. This is the task for which he causes us to gather on the first day of the week. We, like iron sharpening iron, would encourage one another. You guys know Marvin and Mary, right? They're just the best. If you haven't met Marvin and Mary, you've got to meet them. They're fantastic. And my heart just broke when I heard that Marvin's being carted off in that ambulance. Now his, na- his neighbors may care about him too, right? His friends down the street, maybe the guys that he knew and he worked with. But guess who really cares for him? The church. The church cares for him. And we have a task, not just Marvin, but every one of us, to need one another. And then through the unity of the church, as members of one body, we're to go into all this world. It's not time to go to heaven yet, church. Say it's not time. It's not time to go to heaven yet. That's what Paul's saying. I'd rather depart. I'd rather go home. But it's more necessary that I remain. All right, so number one, it takes courage. Number two, it's necessary. And number three, there's a goal. Verse 25 and 26, Paul says, Convinced of this, I know I will remain, and I will continue all of you with all of you for your what? Two things. Progress and? Progress and joy. That's good. There's a goal for us being here. There is a direction to head. There is a goal to reach. We're not just spinning our wheels, church. We're continuing to bring the kingdom of God present here on earth. And do you know what that does for the church? It's called progress. Do you know what that does on the inside for the church? It's called joy. That's our goal. That's what we're chasing after. The continuing of the outpouring of the kingdom of God on earth. You can't find a better prayer than the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom what? How? Thy will be? Where? That's it. That's our calling. That is our goal. That's what we're working towards. Folks, it takes courage. It's necessary. And we have a goal to reach. I was trying to think of good illustration to convey this. I kind of came up with three of them. The the first one I got actually from a NyQuil commercial. I don't know if you've seen this commercial. Hopefully you have, but it's fantastic. It has this guy, and he kind of opens the door, and he says, Dave, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I need to take a sick day. Have you seen this one? And then the camera pans, and it's a little two-year-old. Pops out his pacifier. And then uh, the narrator says over it, he says, Dads don't take sick days. Take NyQuil, right? I mean... That's fantastic. Why? Well, because that's exactly our same calling. Being a parent takes what? Courage. It's hard. It's difficult. There's no manual for this thing, right? Sometimes it's a challenge. It's also necessary. You don't get to take a day off. And then there is a goal that we try to reach as parents with children, right? Which is to see their progress and joy. Yeah, that's the same kind of commitment that's required of the church and not a single parent has the opportunity to say, no, I'm checking out. Unfortunately, in our world today, that happens. And it's very difficult. And other people have to help and come together. But the illustration of this level of commitment is the kind that has been required of the church. It's not that the clergy is married to God. Everybody is. Everybody needs to be committed to Him. The second illustration I thought of was that of a servant. Uh, when I was in college, I worked, and so did my wife, uh, uh, for banquets. And we, would, uh, we were the servants, and you'd dress up, right? And then uh, the people would come, and we, and we would serve them. 
Now, sometimes that takes courage. Sometimes that wasn't easy. Uh, depending upon the trials of life and the things that we face, the same is true in the church. Sometimes it takes courage. It's absolutely necessary. Those, those people at the banquets, many times at the university, they, they were donors that we were wanting to. Well, you know what you do with donors, right? Uh, so it was necessary that you bring them the food and don't spill it on them. And there's, a, there's a job and there's a requirement. And there's a right way to do things. And you're needed here. And servants are. And then there was a goal. The goal is to complete the task. To complete the job that we're here for. So it's kind of like a parent. It's kind of like a servant. But I think most of all, it's like a bride. To be married. The church is the bride of Christ. And there is not for us the opportunity to just leave commitment as something to be when it's convenient for us. You have been pledged to one and only one. Sometimes that takes courage. Sometimes that's difficult. It's absolutely necessary that we are sold out to God alone. And the goal of this whole experiment God has done with mankind is such that we can be together with our Creator once again. Like it was in the garden, it will be in eternity. So take which of those three fits best for you. The commitment of a parent, the commitment of a servant, or the commitment of a bride. But my challenge to you this morning is trying to answer this question. You ready? Here it is. My entire life belongs to Christ except blank. How would you fill in the blank? My entire life belongs to Jesus Christ. For to me to live is, is Christ except where? I want to challenge you to try to answer that. And I know you got an answer for it. Not a single person here, not a single one of us can say, Pastor, I'm fully committed. I'm 100% sold out. There, there's, no, there's no sin in my life anywhere. What does the Bible say about that kind of confession? He who says he's without sin does what? Deceives who? Yeah, so you're lying to yourself. If you hear me ask, ask this question, you say, I can, nothing I can put in the blank. It's because you're not searching hard enough. My entire life is sold out to Christ, except where? In the book by Kyle Eidelman called Not a Fan, he tells a story. It's a quote by uh, Daniel Murphy. I want to read it to you. Uh, it's under a section called Cohabiting. You know how people just live together, right? Well, imagine that they were to, imagine they were to take a vow when they decide to just live together. It might sound something like this. I, John, take you, Mary, to be my cohabitant, to have sex with you and to share bills with you. I'll be around while things are good, but I probably won't be if things get tough. If you should get a cold, I'll run to the drugstore for some medicine. If you get sick to the point where you can no longer meet my needs, then I'll move on. Forsaking many others, I'll be more or less faithful to you for as long as it feels good to me. If we should break up, it doesn't mean this wasn't special for me. I commit to live with you for as long as this works out. convicting for me to think if we hold the dynamic such that the clergy's the ministers and they're the ones that got to go to that's the professionals and the rest of us aren't I fear that we might make that similar pledge to Jesus Christ not at a, not as his bride singularly committed to him but just sort of spectators watching and 
As long as it's working out for us, you know, we're there and it's meaningful. But when it begins to cost us something, you know, we might bail or we might just shrink back. To fix this, we have to answer the question of where parts of our lives are still held on to. So how do you answer the question today? I'm completely sold out. My whole life is sold out to God except blank. I want to challenge spouses this morning. As you drive home with one another, you ask each other this question. Don't fight now. <laughs> but we need, to, we need to answer this question. Where is it for you? What, what's, the area, what's the area of your life where we're still working on this? What's the area in my life where I'm still working on this? Uh, a, a good kind of a ballpark to try to identify them is where does it take courage? Because sometimes that's where we lack. Where is it most necessary? Because that's maybe where it lacks. And where would it prevent us from reaching our goal? Because the calling to be completely committed to Christ as ministers, every one of us, as servants, every one of us, is to understand it takes courage and it's necessary and we have a reason for which we're left here on earth. May God help us. Let's pray this morning.